the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. trouble is not that there's going to be ongoing war so much, it's that they're going to trouble you because you're going to be tempted to be just like them. You're going to worship like them. You're going to be pulled down like them. There'll be constant uh, irritants in your face. That's the problem. What is the church? It's not a building. It's not a denomination. Another term for the church is the body of Christ because he lives within those who put their trust in him. But the word itself comes from the Greek word that is often used to refer to people who are called out. We've been called by God to separate ourselves from the culture in which we were raised. It's not always easy. Over the past several days, we've been learning from Scripture what that means and what it doesn't mean. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this process of accurately understanding and applying verses 14 through 18 of 2 Corinthians 6. It's incredible, but the Corinthian church was still involved in idol worship. Here's Pastor Steve with today's lesson. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 10 that some of them, and I know this sounds incredible, but this is what was happening. Some of them were first going to the heathen temple, which would have orgies and would have wicked things going on. And, in, and they were going, what Paul says, they were coming first to the table of demons because he said that an idol is nothing, but behind an idol is a demon. So they were, they were worshiping these demons at the table of demons. And then they were actually gathering with other believers and observing the Lord's Supper at the Lord's table. I mean, that just sounds so unbelievable. But that's what was happening. And in chapter 6 of his first letter, he actually speaks about some of them having sexual relations with the temple prostitutes as part of their worship. He said, I can't, I can't join Christ with a harlot, can I? But that's what they were doing. There were about 1,000 temple priestesses uh, in Corinth. Their whole city was centered around that kind of stuff. So by not separating themselves from participating in idolatrous worship, they had bound themselves together with unbelievers and were joining them in their heathen worship. And it was having an adverse effect on the church. Not only were they very worldly and carnal in these areas that we just went over and and others, but it also, as Paul tells us in chapter 6 of this letter, it had also caused them to have a diminished love and uh, for Paul, for the inspired truths he taught. They had no appetite for scripture like they once did. And all this was going on. So Paul's primary point, and this is where everything converges on this passage. His primary point is to command the people to separate themselves from having spiritual fellowship with the unsaved of their city. He's calling them to sever all religious ties, no matter how difficult it might be. And the timeless principle that applies to us and every Christian 
is that this command prohibits us from having any kind of spiritual alliance with unbelievers. We are forbidden to be bound with non-Christians in the sense that we partner with them in a common religious experience of either worship or Bible teaching or evangelism. That's what this is all about. Now, this principle, though, has some very important implications, some of them which may prove very difficult in applying, but they must be applied if we're to obey Scripture to separate from unbelieving loved ones and religious affiliations that we grew up with. That could be painful. It could result in some serious misunderstandings, some hurt feelings, some loneliness, isolation. It could have some grim social implications, ramifications, financial ramifications at at work, things of that nature. So what Paul does is instead of just saying, don't be bound with unbelievers, he actually explains why. Why? And what he gives us is some reasonable explanations, some logical reasons. He wants to make sure that the Corinthians are persuaded that this is right. He wants to give substance to his argument because for them to do this and for us to do this would often result in some painful situations. We have to be fully convinced that this is the right thing. So Paul gives us four reasons for believers to spiritually separate from unbelievers. We've already looked at number one. And we're going to move on from there today. But the first reason that believers should separate from spiritual fellowship with unbelievers is this. Believers and unbelievers are spiritually incompatible. From verses 14 through 16, I don't think we need to go into it again. From verses 14 through 16, though, we've already discovered that Paul tells us we have nothing in common with unbelievers spiritually. We have opposite natures, opposite leaders, opposite spiritual possessions, and opposite objects of worship. We worship the living God as he's revealed himself in Scripture. Unbelievers worship a God that they've created, which means it's an idol. They may have some truth in their religious affiliation, but not all the truth, and they have distorted whatever truth they have. For example, you will often hear a non-Christian say to you as you witness to them and speak about judgment and God's holiness and justice, you'll often hear a non-Christian say, well, my God wouldn't do that, meaning my God wouldn't punish you. My God wouldn't send anyone to hell. And the truth is their God would not do that because their God is not the God of the Bible. And if he's not the God of the Bible, their God is an idol. Someone that they created in their own mind that doesn't exist except in a demon. So we have nothing in common spiritually with unbelievers. We may have many things in common from a human interest perspective, but nothing in common spiritually. So therefore, we can't have any common spiritual alliance. Now let's move on. Let's move to the second reason why believers should separate from spiritual fellowship with unbelievers. Second reason, believers are commanded, commanded by Scripture to be separate from unbelievers. Not only is Paul telling us from a reasonable, logical point of view that it doesn't even make sense, it's irrational because you have nothing in common with them, but it's also a command from God. And we see this in verse 17. Paul writes, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. Let's stop there. 
In light of the fact that we are the temple of God, God dwells in us. We are his sanctuary. There must be a holiness to us. There must be a purity to us. In light of that fact, Paul now makes an application. That's why he says, therefore, this is his application. He tells us that because God dwells in us, And because we are to be holy, this involves taking some definite steps to separate ourselves from anything and anyone that would defile us. We're the temple of God. God dwells in us. And that's why we must not be defiled. The apostle is actually quoting from an Old Testament passage in Isaiah 52, verse 11, in which God is commanding the Jewish exiles. Remember the Jewish people, because of their constant disobedience were sent into exile, into Babylon. And in Isaiah 52, God is addressing those exiles who he is now bringing back from Babylon. And his message to them is, now that you're returning, don't take anything with you out of that idolatrous country that pertained to idol worship. Depart. Come out from Babylon, he's saying, And don't touch what is unclean. In other words, when the Jewish people experienced physical salvation, deliverance, they were to make a clean break with their pagan culture that they were now living in. And what Paul does is he takes this command for Israel to separate themselves from from idolatrous Babylon in in a physical sense, and he applies it to the Corinthian situation. His point is, just as the Israelites were to separate themselves from Babylon when there was physical deliverance. So now you have been spiritually delivered. You've been saved. Saved people removed themselves from those idolatrous practices that were defiling them. That's that's the message. And what he means by this precisely is that they were to separate from joining themselves with heathen worshipers. This was idolatry. It was corrupting them. It was defiling them. Paul said God commands us not to do that, to command. Now, I want you to understand the broad principle taught here by Paul. And the principle is this. It's reiterated throughout the Bible. It's, uh, it's not for, for one age group. It's for all. God's people, whether they are Old Testament Jewish Israelites or New Testament church believers, are commanded to disassociate themselves from all forms of religion and former sinful idolatrous practices. This is biblical separation. We separate ourselves from the world. We separate ourselves from the the religion of the world. The nation of Israel, for example, was commanded over and over again by God not to mingle with the pagan nations in the land of Israel. In fact, they should have exterminated them to begin with, but they didn't. They were disobedient there, so they were stuck with them. And God said, you're to be different. You're to look different. You're to, you're to eat differently. You're, you're not to take their wives or, or their women for your wives or their men for your husbands. You're not to do that. There's to be a different walk with you. In fact, let's, let's look at this. Numbers, all the way in the Old Testament. Numbers 33. Numbers 33 is just one of many statements in which God speaks about this. In Numbers 33, beginning at verse 50, we read this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, opposite Jericho. That would be today modern-day Jordan. That's the, uh, the plains of Moab. So before they entered the land, 
They would cross over the Jordan River. Here's what he had to say. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places. In other words, get rid of that stuff. I don't want it around you. I don't want you being influenced by it. Get rid of it. And you shall take possession of the land and live in it. For, you, for I have given the land to you to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot according to your families. To the larger, you shall give more inheritance. To the smaller, you shall give less inheritance. Wherever the lot falls to anyone, that shall be his. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. And watch this. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come about that those whom you let remain of them will become as pricks in your eyes. In other words, there'll be constant irritants in your eyes and as thorns in your sides, and they will trouble you in the land in which you will live. The trouble is not that there's going to be ongoing war so much, it's that they're going to trouble you because you're going to be tempted to be just like them. You're going to worship like them. You're going to be pulled down like them. There'll be constant uh, irritants in your face. That's the problem. One book back, Leviticus chapter 20, God says the same thing, separate, be distinct, be different. Leviticus chapter 20, beginning at verse 22. You are therefore to keep all of my statutes and all my ordinances and do them so that the land to which I am bringing you to live will not spew you out again. So I won't have to, I won't have to, Deal with you in discipline, he's saying. Moreover, you shall not follow the customs of the nation which I will drive out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I have abhorred them. Hence I have said to you, you are to possess their land, and I myself will give it to you to possess it. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. And then jump down to verse 26. This is a verse repeated in First Peter. He says, thus you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. Meaning that because you are my unique possession, you are not to be like other people. You're not to worship like them. You're not to behave like them. You are to be separate and distinct. But what did they do? They disobeyed God constantly. Someone recently said to me, well, Israel was pretty, pretty good in the Old Testament. No, no, that's not true. They weren't good at all. They so often disobeyed God. They so often embraced heathen idolatry that God finally judged them by sending them into exile to uh, some lands that were idolatrous. And actually, the primary message of the prophets to Israel over and over again, their primary message, not the only message, but primarily their message was Israel, Judah, repent of your idolatry, return to the Lord in full devotion. Return to the Lord in full devotion. I think the pattern is set with the prophets by the prophet Elijah. I want you to see this, 1 Kings chapter 16. Elijah was not the first prophet in Israel. I think Samuel was, but Elijah was the first type of prophet who denounced idolatry, who rebuked the people, and who got in their face. And Elijah sets the pattern for all the prophets to follow. In 1 Kings chapter 16, Verse 30, you read what the, what the problem was in the lands. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30. Speaking of Ahab, Ahab, the son of Amri, this is the king. 
He did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So what God is telling us is all the kings were, were wicked, but, but this guy, Ahab, was the most wicked. Now, what did he do that was worse than all the other kings? Verse 31, it came about as though it had been a trifle thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. What God is telling us is all of the kings prior to this were evil men, but this guy did worse than all of them because this man did something that no Jewish king had done before him. He married a pagan worshiper of Baal. Jezebel was not Jewish. And he took the worship of Baal and made it the official religion of Israel. That was the worst thing you could do. So Elijah comes on the scene and his message is repent. When he's confronting the nation and the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, it says in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, verse 21, I think this sums up his whole message. Elijah came near to all the people. He said, and this is to the Jewish people. He said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. That's a great, that's a great statement. If, if you believe in the Lord, then what are you fooling around like this for? Then give him your full devotion. But if Baal, meaning if Baal, Baal is really God, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. What he's saying is if, if you're going to embrace Jehovah, then embrace him with full commitment. If you're going to embrace Baal, then, then just walk away from the Lord. Don't even claim that you belong to him. That's the message. Now, as, as New Testament age believers in Christ, God's message to us is, is literally the same. It's no different than his message to Israel. As saved people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, Keep yourself unspotted and unpolluted from the heathen practices of the world around you. You can't mix that. You can't, you can't have a little bit of New Age and a little bit of Jesus. You can't have a little bit of Catholicism or Greek Orthodoxy or liberal uh, Protestantism or, or even, even rabbinical Judaism or Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness. You can't do that and have some of Jesus. If Jesus is God, then follow him. If not, then don't, don't claim that you're a Christian. But if you're a believer, then you follow him with full commitment. We're to be unpolluted, unspotted from the world around us. And I'm not, I'm not talking about legalistic, just external observances. I'm talking about the heart. It begins with the heart. In fact, in John chapter 17, Jesus spoke about this in his high priestly prayer to the Father. He spoke about how we can be in the world, but not of the world. Because that's our, that's our predicament. We're in the world. He hasn't taken us out of the world. We've got to move with the world. We've got to be like Jesus was a friend of sinners. We've got to be with them and not isolated. We, we, we don't build Bible world and just hide behind it. We've got to be with them. How do you do that and not be corrupted by them? John chapter 17, Jesus said, speaking to the Father, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Why does the world hate us as believers? Because we're not like them. We're not like them. We're to be distinct. Jesus said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but here, here's what he's asking, but to keep them from the evil one. In other words, we're in the world, but we're not to be like the world. I'm not praying that you'll remove them. I'm praying that in the midst of being in the world, they'll be sanctified and holy and distinct and separate. Well, how are they going to do that? 
Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And here's how we do it. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. You know how you stay pure in an impure world? You take in the word of God. It's the truth. You keep error from corrupting you because you saturate yourself with the truth of Scripture. Otherwise, you're going to think like the world. And if you think like the world, you're going to act like the world. This is why Paul will later say in Romans 12 too, be not conformed to this world, but be what? transformed by the renewing or renovating of your mind. That's what it's all about. How you think will determine how you behave. And if you constantly expose yourself to error, then you're going to behave and think like the world. In fact, there's a great passage I want you to see, Ephesians chapter 5. The Ephesians their, and their city and their culture, very much like the Corinthians. In fact, the ancient world was was just a horrible place in terms of morality. A few years ago, Michelle and I were able to visit the ancient uh, city in in Italy of Pompeii. That was the city that there was a volcano eruption, and and for a few thousand years it was buried under ash. It was only discovered in the 1800s. But what the ash did was it preserved the city so that you basically saw a city that how it existed 2,000 years ago. I don't think Pompeii was special. I don't think it was any different than any other city in that world, but it's unique because we have a, a graphic picture of it. And we, we came upon, we had a tour guide for the day, and we came upon a, uh, a place where uh, you go inside and it's very clear that this is a place of pornographic pictures. And I remember the tour guide saying to us something like, it's not what you think it is. It's, and he went on to say something, I could hardly understand them, quite frankly, but I, but I, I laughed, I thought, yeah, right. We know exactly what this is, and everybody in our group knew what this was. But here's this man trying, no, it wasn't. It wasn't what you think. It's it's probably worse than what we think. That was the ancient world. And so think of the Ephesians like this. And now in Ephesians chapter 5, and probably Ephesians was a circular letter that was not just addressed to the Ephesians, but many churches, probably the same churches that uh, Jesus addressed in, in Revelation. Uh, the seven churches of Asia Minor. So it's probably a circular letter. But he says in verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be be like God, he's saying, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrance aroma. We, We know what we're to be like. We're to be like Jesus, loving, kind, sacrificing ourselves. But watch this. In contrast, he says in verse 3, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Don't even talk about that stuff in terms of its details and and graphics. Don't, Don't do that. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. If you're going to say anything, give give God thanks. Don't 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 do dirty talking. Don't do uh, off-color jokes. Don't even talk about this. He says in verse five, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or a covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. People who are that's their lifestyle. He said, don't be deceived. They're not Christians. You know this with certainty. Because when someone becomes a Christian, they are radically transformed. In fact, Paul went on in verse 6 of Ephesians 5 to tell us, Let no one deceive you with empty words. They can try to tell you that they're saved or that their behavior doesn't really matter. 
but that won't fly when they meet God face to face. And don't let them suck you in. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue in this passage in Ephesians when we meet again for another verse by verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Go online to lakesidechapel.com to learn more or call 727-441-1714. You can also call that number if you'd like to help support Verse by Verse financially. Your gifts are an essential ingredient in this ministry. That number once again is 727-441-1714. Or go online to versebyverseradio.org and click the link to our giving page. We appreciate your gifts, but we do hope that you will not neglect your responsibility to your own church. While you're there, don't forget about our free message archive where you can listen to any of our hundreds of audio files. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Over the years, I have concluded that the phrase liberal church is really an oxymoron. Why is that? Well, we can disagree with others about many things and still fellowship with them. But salvation and rejecting the basic tenets of the faith are mutually exclusive. Since the church is, by definition, the assembly of genuine Christ followers, it cannot be made up of those who don't follow him. But nevertheless, liberal church is a convenient handle. As Pastor Steve will explain on the next verse-by-verse, separating ourselves from a liberal church can be painful, especially if we have a long history with that group of people. But there are some great benefits that will make it worth the initial pain. So I hope you'll be here for the conclusion of Part 4 of Pastor Steve's series on spiritual separation. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.